mission-sending organization in the world. Been together, been a ministry since 1960, and since 1960, they have commissioned, what, 3 million missionaries? Is that right, Joel? 160-plus countries have, uh, uh, have 1,200 different operating locations for YWAM. And YWAM's mission, their heart is just simply this, to know God and make Him known. They've started a thing called, they call Impact World Tour. It began in 1993. 500,000-plus people have come to know Christ through this ministry. They've held campaigns in 36 states and 12 other countries. And this morning, we have a kickoff event for the Impact World Tour for Southeastern Ohio. They're going to be choosing Chillicothe and Zanesville as their hub cities in Southeastern Ohio. They're going to ask you to do three things today. They're going to ask you to pray. They're going to ask you to serve. They're going to ask you to give. Okay? And just on record, to pull this campaign off in Southeastern Ohio, it's going to cost about $320,000. Okay? To date, they've raised almost $16,000. Okay? So, and if you want to know how that, how that breaks down, the missionaries are, they are missionaries. They already have their support. The people who are coming doing the ministry, the, 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 and Joel will tell you what those ministries look like. They already have their support. They're coming. They're volunteering. They're coming for free. That $320,000 goes for advertising. It goes for facility rentals. It goes for purchasing Bibles. It goes for sounds and lights. It goes for transportation and, and all the local administration that, 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 that's required there. This, this campaign will cover 12 cities in southeastern Ohio. So we need to get in on what God's doing and be a part of it. Um, and the, the biggest way they'll raise the budget is through individuals like you. They will look to churches. They'll look to businesses. But the biggest way that the budget is reached is because individuals say, you know what? I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that harvest. I want to be a part of that vision. Rachel and I have already given, and we plan have given to the, to, to the world tour already. We're, we're planning to continue to give all the way up until the, the thing gets here. We're, this will be a part of what Rachel and I do. And I want you guys to get involved because, you know what, the amazing thing is two days before I found out this was going to come here, Nathaniel Van Buskirk and I were sitting in his office, and we said, we need to do, do, do another Power Force crusade. And then I got a phone call from Chuck King over Open Door. Hey, YWAM's coming. They want to do this thing. Why don't you come to a meeting? I can't do a meeting. And this is like what we do with the Power Force crusade, except it's like on steroids. That sounds funny to talk about Power Force crusade and steroids, but... It's because it's going to have other churches involved. The whole community in Ross County is going to be involved. Every school, it has to be in every school. The whole southeastern region of, of, of Ohio is going to be involved. So this is like it, then some. So, with that, I want to introduce to you Joel McGill. Joel is from Chicago, Illinois. He spent about eight and a half years in, as a missionary in Australia with YWAM. His passion is for everyone in the world to have the opportunity to hear the gospel, a clear and relevant and true gospel with a chance to respond to it. Are you ready? Joel has worked in the areas of evangelism, youth ministry, and preaching and teaching. His gifts have taken him all over the world and have given him a wide variety of experiences. Joel's an evangelist at heart and believes strongly in the ministry of Impact World Tour as an effective way of reaching this generation. Joel has just, check this out, Joel has just finished coordinating the IWT in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, listen to this. Over 11,650 people came to know Christ in Dayton as a result of the Impact World Tour. So, are you ready? YWAM, the IOWT, will be here until 2009. Without any further ado, I give you Joel McGill. Make him welcome, please, Church Triumphant.
What an introduction. Good morning, family. Before we pray, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and just say, he's not done with me yet. And he's never going to be. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. As your humble children that are so honored that you would choose us. That you would uh, ordain us to be your ambassadors. That you would empower us and release us, ones that have, have lost time and time and time again. And you'd look at us and you'd say, we're going to win. And Father, I thank you that you, you come into our lives and you shake things up. You change us. You mold us. Father, we know that you, you don't just shape us, but you change cities. You change states. You change nations. And you can change this whole world. We know you're bigger than this whole world because it's your footstool. And so you're bigger than Chillicothe. Right now I just say that every demon in Chillicothe is just a demon, but you are God. And you are able. And Father, we look to you and we know that you are big and that you are awesome. And Father, would we see ourselves in the reflection of your eyes? Would we see ourselves in light of who you are? Father, we just come to you this morning and we look forward to the great things that you've prepared for us. Father, we come to you in faith because you are awesome. Lord, we commit this morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't it great how God, in, He just injects victory into, into defeat? You know, it's one of my favorite things about Him is that when the world can count you out, when you've counted yourself out, it's never too late. You've never gone so far that God can't pull you back. You know, I, I think about my own life. You know, I always say the devil invested, you know, millions of dollars and energy and efforts into seeing me fail. He invested time and energy and so much to see me fail. And I feel bad for him because he's not going to get a dime back. You know what I'm saying? There have been energies and coordinated efforts to make sure you fail. And in an instant, he lost it all. I love that about our God. Anybody got a story like that this morning? You know what I'm saying? He just must get discouraged, the devil. Because he, he just, the, the Lord uses the, the, the foolish things to dumbfound the wise. And so, he, you know, he start, people start getting doing some things and get going, and they're like, and the devil's like, oh, i got to get over there, and he's got to get over there. He's not omnipresent, so he's got to run around everywhere. And he's trying to keep up, and God, just in the, in the midst of, of nothing, will speak life and bring something. And that's what I love is just his, his breath of life. When I do evangelism training, I tell people they better bring mints. Because you can't preach the word of life with the breath of death. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, we got to preach the word, right? And the Lord does that so well. He just comes into a situation and he just breathes life. And my own story, tell you a little bit about me. I'm originally from Oregon. I was born in Oregon. But my dad and mom split up when I was four. Pretty common story these days. And my mom moved to Chicago. And uh, I ended up, kind of, my mom worked two jobs, my two older sisters. I was the youngest one in the family. Please pity me. But my nickname growing up in my family was Loser. That was my theme song, right, when growing up. 
My, my sisters and I used to try to kill each other two or three times a day. Knife fights, hockey stick fights, and everything. I once got, my sister choked me so hard that I've, I passed out, woke up half an hour later and was late to school. How do you explain that to your teacher? It was a war zone. I grew up in the midst of trying to survive. I was abused sexually twice growing up. I had, it, the enemy was intent on seeing me fail. He did everything he could. Got beat up, bullied. When I got into high school, I grew a couple of inches and put on a little bit of weight. And I decided I wasn't going to get picked on anymore. And I went to a school, and I, I always say I'm a survivor of the Chicago public school system. I made it. Uh, we had a joke in my high school. It said when you graduate, they hand you a, a diploma and a bulletproof vest. Because they want to keep you alive. There's not very many of you. I had a 1.4545 GPA in my freshman year of high school. I was in the top 50% of my class. And that's out of 1,000 kids, 2,000 kids. And so in this environment, I learned a long time ago that I have to survive. i got to look out for number one, right? i got to do what I can. So I started running with a gang called the Vice Lords. Started selling drugs. Started really running the life, just trying to keep up. And how many of you know that when you sow something, what happens? All right, so when you sow evil into your life, you might not reap it right away. When you sow that seed, it's going to bear fruit. And so I was sowing evil in my life. Messing around with different girls, doing all different stuff. Living my life, again, trying to survive. Just meditate on that for a minute. And so in the midst of this, it all began to catch up with me. I had the KKK after me too. Think about that one for a minute. I had the, uh, some up-and-coming vice lords were coming up in the gang trying to prove themselves, so they came after the white guy. In my school, you were either black, Hispanic, or Polish. I didn't fit into either of those categories, so I convinced everybody I was Italian because I can say words like Italian. And, uh, and I used to walk with a limp and uh, wear some gold, and I used to, and I had slick back hair, and I've, I had to do anything I could to survive. But it all was catching up with me. And so I got invited out to the, right around, isn't it amazing, right around that time I got invited out to a youth group, got invited out to a church, and I went there to meet girls in that while you go to church. Um, but anyway, so... I got invited out to this youth group, and I went there, and I went there with the intention of meeting girls. Probably not the first time the Lord's used that to bring people to Him. But in the midst of that, I, went, I was sitting in a room with a youth pastor beginning to, t- to explain the gospel to me. Now, I'm a cool guy, you know, again, I run with gangs, I'm in that life. And as he begins to preach, my body begins to shake. Do you want to know how hard it is to look cool when your body is shaking? And I began, something just came over me, and the only thing I can think is that I need this. I need this fresh start. I knew, I need to be a new creation. I knew, I didn't understand all of what he's saying, but I knew I needed it. When he gave the opportunity to respond, my hand went up, and I, before I knew what I was doing, I looked at my hand and I said, what am I doing? 
They invited me out into the hall, and I started talking with this guy, and he said, Joel, do you know what you just did? And I said, of course I know what I just did. I didn't have a clue. But I'm a tough guy, right? I go back to my room, and I'm staying with this rough crowd. They burn Bibles. A really great youth group. Really connects with the right kids, because that's who we're here to reach, right? We're not here for pizza parties. We're not here to babysit. We're here to reach this generation. Because if we don't reach this generation, we will not have a church in 20 years. We'll do the last funeral we'll close our doors. And we can't afford to do that. There's too many lives that have been spent for us to sit down and just relax. This is time to move forward. This is time to advance. This is time to make sure that we have something we used to call a Christian nation. And I went back to my room and I told, and it was kind of a lull in the conversation. I told everybody, I said, hey, I got saved tonight. And they looked at me and they went, cool. The next day, the leader of the group came up to me and he says, Joel, I'm so impressed that so early in your walk with God, you're sharing your faith. I'm like, you're welcome. Okay, I didn't really know what he was talking about. So the first six months of my walk with God, all I knew about you Christians is that you don't swear. Now I realize most of you do. Um, but that's all I knew. Again, I didn't grow up in that. I didn't know that. So I just, I, I knew I was a Christian because I didn't swear. So I still ran my life. I still was involved in stuff thinking I was, I was a Christian. People used to get in my car at 15 and I used to say to them, I say, look, you need to know something about me. I'm a Christian. So if you swear in my car, one of two things is going to happen to you. One, I'm going to throw you out of my car while we're driving or two, you're going to pay me some money. And so my friends used to hand me a dollar and then get to swear in my car, and that was the deal because they knew I was a Christian. And this is my walk with God. It's all I knew. I only knew one Christian in my whole school, and his name was Jesus, and we all picked on him. And that was my world. And I was embarrassed to even tell him I was a Christian because I picked on him so much. So after about, about six months of this, my mom shows up in my school, and she looks around, and she says, we're moving. I said, why are we moving? She said, I'm saving your life and I'm getting you out of this school. And so she took me out to this very strange, mystical place called the suburbs. Terrified me. They got spirits out there. I didn't know what that school spirit was. I was trying to figure that out half the time. Nobody was proud to go to my school. And so we, were, we went out there and I had no friends. I had nothing. Call it my desert place. I had nothing. Didn't have a job. Didn't have anything. They handed me a Bible when I got saved, and they said, good luck. And, uh, when I was, and I was sitting out there, no friends, nothing, I, and I, I grabbed this Bible they had given me, and I said, so, and I said man, there's got to be more to this than not swearing. I said, this is what it is, it's lame, I'm going back, because I don't feel like I can express myself anymore. And so I went back, and I, and I went to the Lord, and I said, man, I'm either, you know, either this is it, and I'm going to go back and live my life, or there's more to this, and I'm going to give you everything I have. Guess which one I chose. And so I said, well, this thing's got all the answers to life, right? Well, I need a job. So I turned over to the table of contents, and I began to read, look for something, and sure enough, there's a book in there called Job. And I began, and I, so I, I said, man, this thing does have all the answers to life. Turned over to the book of Job and started reading. And I hated reading. So I sat there as a young 16-year-old kid, and I, just began, and I read the whole book of Job. It was the first book of the Bible I read. I went, got all the way to the end, and I said, that didn't help me in the slightest get a job. 
But I said to myself, I should be grateful. At least my life's not as messed up as that guy's. And so in my simple mind of trying to figure things out, I, you know, I came to the Lord in what I call my spiritual advantage. I didn't come to God with my resume. You know, God's not interested in your resume. He doesn't care what you've done or how many people you've done this to that or whatever, how good you were. He's not impressed. He's perfect. A friend of mine, uh, Winky Prattney, says the two-thirds of getting saved is just getting honest. And so when, when I just said to God, I said, look, I'm, I'm a loser. It's been my name from start. My theme song has been Defeat. And I said, I've been, I don't know a lot. I got a 1.4545 GPA. I got really nothing to offer you. So you're going to have to teach me everything. I call that my spiritual advantage. Because we, you know what sin is? Sin is thinking you're smarter than God. It's thinking you know how to run your life better than Him. You think that you're smarter than the Word of God. And so I said to him, I said, God, you're going to have to teach me everything. And I just, and I flipped my Bible over to Corinthians and started reading. I said, wow, there is more to this than not swearing. Wow, look at all these promises that have been promised to me. And I found my new theme song. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. Verse 4, if any of you have your Bibles, you can turn to this with me. We're going to be here just for a minute. Again, what I love about God is that in the midst of defeat, or in the midst of, of nothing, He can come and breathe victory. He can breathe life. He can take something from complete defeat and destruction and in an instant turn it around. That's what I love about Him is even when everybody counts you out, even when everybody thinks that think you got nothing left, God has got something for you. And for us, you can't remember that. You can't forget that. And you can't remember it enough. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, how many, great, how many of you are thankful today that the word of the Lord came to you? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Anybody grateful you don't have to explain yourself to God? You don't got to tell Him where you came from? You don't got to give them all the reasons why you can't. Okay, because he formed, before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, for me, these are what I, this is my new theme verses. I'm sharing with you something very personal with me. These are things that I go back to when I forget who I am. I, I really, really encourage you guys, get, a, get your theme verses. Go to, the, go to the Lord and ask Him to show you in the Word of God a, what I, your mirror. So when I forget who I am, I start acting insecure. I was terribly insecure. I was a, when I got in front of public, people, uh, public speaking, I would shake and stutter and I was terrified. And that's who I was. And then God said to me, I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then here's our response, typically. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. This is what I call the list that the devil wrote. Anybody got one of these? I'm too poor. I'm too young. I don't have this. I don't have that. Oh, you don't know me. Oh, I can't do this. I've always failed at that. Anybody know those? That's the list the devil wrote. Okay, and you know it's actually offensive to God when you read it to him? 
You know, I say that, you know, when you sit and complain about how poor you are and you talk about how you don't have any money, you know that's offensive to God? Because he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he owns everything. And he has his own child sitting there trying to lie to people, telling them they don't have anything. Okay, that's offensive. It actually hurts him. It offends, it breaks his heart. That his child, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything that you can look around. All the Mercedes Benz, everything that you can imagine. He owns it all and you're sitting there as a child of God. And as a, as a heir to the king, and you're sitting around complaining about not having enough? So stop offending God by saying, alas, I am Lord God, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. And the Lord told me that when I live that way, if I go into this with that kind of attitude, it's offensive to him. Because here's what he says. He says, but the, it says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. It's a command. You cannot say any longer you're poor. You cannot say any longer you, you're, you're too young. You cannot say any longer the things of the past. You can say, well, I used to be. And God's like, yeah, yeah, you used to be. The power of life and death is in the tongue. God says, don't say that anymore. How many of you got something that you've been saying that maybe this morning it's time to stop saying that? It's time to stop speaking that over your life. How about over your city? You know, every time you curse this city, you offend God because he died for this city. He's got a plan and a purpose for this city, a meeting place, a gathering place for God's people. And that's his purpose. And every time you speak against it, you speak against him. Do not say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Whenever I forget who I am, I read this and I say, he is with me to deliver me, declares the Lord. How about saying that every time you're afraid? How about saying that every time you hit an obstacle? Next time the devil steps in your face and starts stopping you, say, he is with me to deliver me, declares the Lord. Why not start quoting that at yourself? See what it does to your obstacles. See what it does to things that get in your face and try to stop you. See what it, it, it does to things like, I can't afford this, or I can't do this, or I don't have time for this. He is with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. That's his, I just love it how he injects that confidence and that faith and that, that with just confidence in himself. And you can come to him and say, oh, but I'm, I'm insecure because I don't have this, because I've done this, because of this. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. He actually says later, says, do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. He's so serious about this. Because your life counts. And he's not done with you yet. Amen. All right, so he's not done with this area yet. So this is what we're going to do is we're going to fight for this city. We're going to go to the, the ones that are the most open to the gospel in, in this area. Anybody know who they are? 85% of everybody that comes to Christ around the world is under 18. 45% is under 12. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I'm going to confront you on an issue. We've, we've really messed up in a couple of areas in our nation. We thought church was about us. You think this is your church. And now it's being taken from you. And the truth is, is that it's not anybody else. It's not the young people that are taking it from you. It's Jesus. 
Because it's his church, right? It belongs to him. And what we do and what we sing and what we're about has nothing to do with you. It's about him. I decided a long time ago that my life was going to be an offering. That every breath, everybody, I want you to do a spiritual test with me. I want you to do this. I want you to just breathe in and breathe out with me. Everybody. Only about half of you did. Come on. All right. Breathe in with me. Okay. This is my spiritual test, and I'm going to see if you pass. All right. Everybody go like this. Everybody make it? All right. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a ministry. Okay? If you're not sure what that ministry is, I'm going to tell you right now. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You want a name for it? Just call it the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody asked, what's your ministry? It's the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? What's your cover? Well, you might be pretending to be a a plumber or a, a banker or something, but your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. That's what you are. That's what you do. And that's what counts in this life. Because the houses, the cars, and all the money, and all the buildings don't come with. Okay? Isn't it nice that Jesus lets you drive his car? Isn't it nice that he lets you live in his house and wear his clothes? Okay, your ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because the people are the only thing you get to take with you. Your business is business of populating heaven. That's it. That's all we get to keep. So let's take some people with us. Because the young people are open, but let me share some stats with you. The great generation, the World War II generation, the generation from the Depression, they were a generation of 65% evangelical Christian. Do you imagine living in a country where 65% of the people on the street love Jesus, have a biblical worldview, use the Word of God as their standard for life? You could probably leave your doors unlocked at night. You could probably go to the grocery store and leave your keys running in the car and no one would take it. Anybody remember that? Step down a generation to your boomers. 35% evangelical Christian. 30% drop in this nation in Christianity in one generation. Now, if you're a business person and you run a business and you lose 30% of your market, something's going to change. You're having meetings, you're doing research, you're doing everything you can to figure out why you just lost such a huge percentage of your market. Why? Because that's your bread and butter. And what we forgot is as a church, our bread and butter is souls. Next generation, Generation X, the Busters, 15% evangelical Christian. We should be panicking. We're losing 85% of that generation when they die are going straight to hell. And we're all comfortable. If we, if we understood the reality that there is a hell, we would live very different lives. But we don't believe it's there. My wife's dad doesn't believe in hell. And he came and stayed with us for a little bit. And he likes to debate and discuss and stuff. So I, I kind of went in with him a little bit and... And then he said, you know, sorry, there's only Hades. You know, it's an Old Testament thing, and they just go there for a while, and then, you know, in the end, it's just going to disappear, and they're not going to exist. I said, okay, so we can maybe do that. And I said, well, let's see what the Bible says. You believe in the Bible, right? And he says, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in the Bible. I said, okay. Turn to Revelation 20 and said, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. They have their same thing. They throw one into the other. And he said, oh, 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, see, hell is real. We have to preach about it, we have to talk about it, because it is a reality. And what that means is that every single person that doesn't have Jesus, so he who has the Son has life, he who doesn't have the Son does not have life. It's pretty straightforward. If they don't know Jesus, they're going there. Everybody you love, everybody you care about, everybody you don't care about, everybody you hate, if they don't know Jesus, they're going there, and that breaks God's heart. And it should break your heart too. I prayed a dangerous prayer as I sat in my room as I began to study the Word of God. I didn't know what I was praying, but I said, Dear Lord, would you break my heart for everybody, for old, young, black, white, everybody. Would you give me your heart for every single person on this planet, and would you help me feel what you feel? And as this tough thug with a hardened heart just bawled his eyes out like a baby on the floor, just being, just getting a sense of God's broken heart for the lost. If you haven't felt that, you're missing out. Because that is the heartbeat of the one you claim to serve. He, his heart bleeds for those that don't know him. And it's only selfishness which leads to fear that's keep us out of sharing our faith. It says one in every 20 Christians in America will lead someone to the Lord in their lifetime. That's not a good growth rate. Right now, amongst this, the, this younger generation was 4%. It's now 3% of this emerging generation love Jesus. I hear pastors talk often about, oh, if just one person gets saved, it's all worth it. That's a lie. We don't live like that. Our culture is not geared for that. Because right now we got three sheep in the pen. We got 97 wandering in the wilderness. And we're sitting around talking about how many kids we got in our youth group. It's sin. It's sin. And we need to repent. And we need to ask God's forgiveness for for not listening to his call. Because his call right now is to reach these young people. And they are so open. They are so hungry. In the Dayton area, we had so many kids come to Christ. We had two girls, 14 years old, both decided not to have an abortion because they came to Christ at our event. We saved two lives. We had other kids that were full-on members of the satanic church in their life and said they wanted to come to Jesus. We had a kid who grew up in a Christian home. His mom told him, you're either going to love Jesus or hate him. And he said he didn't want to go to church anymore. It was boring. And he said, well, you either love him or hate him, so you make your decision. And he said he's going to hate him. Joined the satanic church, started serving. This is a different kid from the other one. Started getting out pentagrams, all the stuff tattooed all over his body. Came forward at, Kettering skate, at a Kettering skate park. And he said, I want to come back to Jesus. They're so hungry and they're so open, yet they make up so, le- so few of us. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring in some reinforcements. This fall... Just the end of September, beginning of October, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to bring in about 75 to 100 evangelists. Now, these are not your typical evangelists because kids don't wear suits and sing in choirs. We're going to bring in skateboarders, BMX, hip-hop dancers, break dancers, strong men, athletes, and they're going to come in, they're professional, and they're going to come in and they're going to present the gospel to your young people. Because when one of our pro skaters does a 360 kickflip, think about that one, um, and then turns around and starts preaching the gospel, guess what the youth do? They lean forward. And I desperately want them to lean forward. 
And so God has got a clear, wonderful message for them that they can have a fresh start. That all their abuse and all their, the, the, the losers that, they, that they, they've become in their lives, that they can have a new beginning. And it's our mandate and it's our responsibility to give them that opportunity to hear that. And so we're going to do it at VA Memorial Stadium. We're going to have an opportunity to present the gospel, we believe, somewhere around 9,000 people during this week and a half of outreach. We're going to go into the schools, into the prisons. We're seeing about 60, 70, even high as 90% response rate in the prisons. There's a hunger for the gospel. In Dayton, for our campaign, we had an 18% response rate. That's like a third world nation. And that's a gift from God to Ohio right now. Because here's what, this is what this is about on a bigger scale here. About, four, about in, in 2004, our founder, Mark Anderson, was in a prayer room in Kansas City. And as he was praying, the Lord stirred him and the Lord spoke to him. He said to him, we had shifted most of our initiatives to around the world. We went through 53 cities in New Zealand, preached the gospel to 350,000 people and saw over 30,000 people come to Christ. We went to New Zealand, we preached the gospel to 175,000 people, saw over 20,000 come to Christ. We just launched initiatives in South Africa where they're going to, they, their pursuit is to see 5 million young people come to Jesus. In, in the Philippines, they're hitting, they want to hit across the nation and see every island hear the gospel. God is doing a lot right now around the world. China has somewhere around 140 million Christians in it. That's not going to take very long to shift that nation. India is unbelievable. Between the year 2000 and 2004, the Hindu government did a study and said how many people are becoming baptized Christians. We've got to figure out how popular this is. And in four years in the nation of India, they had over 50 million new baptized believers during those four years. God is on the move, and many of the pagan nations that were our mission-receiving nations are now our mission-sending nations to you. And so God is on the move. And he, he's on the move right here in Ohio. And so the Lord set, spoke to his, his heart and said, Do not forget about America. And then he said to him, he said, I will give you the swing states. Now, we're not a political group. We have no political agenda or whatever. But um, the Lord said to us, I'll give you the swing states. And you guys know a swing state in 2004. You're in it. Not too long after that, we got invited to Ohio. So here's what we have deduced. We believe if we can see 100,000 people, primarily young people in Ohio, commit their lives to Christ, real, total surrender, not this weak gospel stuff we've been selling about how Jesus will make you rich and make you comfortable until you die. That is a lie. The cross itself defies that statement. And so, so we sell them a, tell them a real gospel that's about real surrender. And we can see 100,000 young people in Ohio make a real surrender to Christ. We believe we can begin to change the state, which we believe will change the nation. So we're fighting for America. We're fighting for this nation and its destiny and what it's going to look like in 20 years. How's that for prophetic for you? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a video of what these team members look like. And what I want you to do is you watch this video, I want you to begin to think about how you can be involved. I'm going to have the ushers come and they're going to hand you a card, a bunch of cards. And this is your application. Go ahead, guys. We, we talk a lot about doing stuff. We talk a lot about impacting our community and how great it would be to reach the young people. As long as they, don't, they stay out of my house and don't break my stuff. Um, there's a, we talk about a lot of good things. You ever heard the phrase, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them? 
we need to get this around in our mind that we have to be doers of good, not just talkers of it. So this morning is about doing. So what they're going to hand you is a number of cards here. And the first one I'm going to draw your attention to before you see this video, and it's called My Call to Prayer. And on here are five spaces, and what I want you to do is write the names of five people that you know that do not know Christ. Put their name down on it. Okay, now here's the deal. There's two things, two people that see this when you do stuff like this, okay? The, the, one of them is the devil, okay? Whenever we put up our hand and say, hey, I'm, I'll, I'm willing, the devil says, I see that hand. Okay, you need to know that and understand this, that this is a battle. Okay, this is not just us doing our thing and, and we have no opposition. Okay, you need to prepare yourself for this battle because this is a fight. And if you're going to strategically go after thousands of young people that are in the hands of the devil, you better, um, you better be prepared for the fight. You better deal with areas of sin in your life. You better get a passion and a fire for God because the devil's going to come after you. And I feel bad for him. Because greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. But if you don't know that, you better get ready. And if you're not prepared to walk in that and remind the devil that, you better get ready. Because we got Christians all over this place just getting abused by the devil and beat up. Okay, so here's your call. You're going to start, instead of bringing your list of all the stuff you want to God, you're going to start bringing the list of people that don't know Him. Let's, that'll transform your prayer life. The next thing I'm going to talk to you about is your giving. And then we're going to go into the serving after that. But as you watch this video, I want you to consider how you can give. Now the way we do this is we ask people to make a pledge commitment, a faith commitment, between now and September of what you could set aside for this outreach. There are no salaries in this outreach. Nobody makes any money out of it. Our heart is to see kids come to Christ, plain and simple. We raise our own support. Everybody in the whole organization, from the administration to the, to the founder, to the leader, to me here this morning, we all raise our own support so that our salaries don't have to come out of these budgets. The budget is 320000 for 10 to 12 cities in this region. We're still working on getting a lot of them on board, but we're in process right now. And so this is your opportunity to say, how, which part of this can I take? What's it worth to me to see the young people in my community reached? And so what we ask is above and beyond your tithe and offering, what you could set aside. And what we challenge people to do is to commit one week's wage. That's a sacrifice. But how many of you know God's not in a recession? How many of you know when you step out in faith and you do what God tells you to do, He provides for it? He doesn't fund your crazy ideas, but He funds His. And so I'm, no, I'm, I'm just here to present the opportunity to you, and I'm going to ask you to pray after we see this video. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord what He wants you to do. Now some of you might be able to give more of a leadership gift. Maybe you can help us finish this budget off sooner so we don't have to worry about paying the bills when we're trying to preach the gospel. Okay? And I say that as to someone who, in all of our campaigns, our even coordination staff give and sacrifice, often even more than a week's wage. So I'm kind of bold in my ass just because, again, I don't get anything out of this. I'm asking so we can pay for the venue, pay for everything we need to do to do the evangelism. Okay, That's what I want you to hear. So what I want you to think is, Lord, what's my piece of this? What's my portion? 
what can I do? And so what I'd like you to do is you watch these videos, you'll see the teams of evangelists, you'll see these guys are going to come in, and you'll hear a challenge to your role. So why don't we roll that video and you can watch it.